Christchurch, New Malden, 11th of October 2020. Becky Mills speaking on A Fresh Take on the Cross. Our Fresh Take series on some aspect of the Bible has been incredibly refreshing for me personally, and I hope all of you have found it helpful too. This series has encouraged us to reflect anew on the key landmarks of our faith, reinvigorate our journey, and bring a daily freshness to our Christian lives, like the Israelites in the wilderness, gathering manna afresh every morning. We constantly need food and refreshment on that journey, as we deepen our personal encounter with Jesus, and seek to put that wisdom into practice in our everyday lives. The truth of the Bible is central to our journey of faith, and some of us may find the diversity of interpretation perplexing. We are constantly finding different emphases, nuances and layers of meaning as we study it. The Bible is breathed from the mouth of God, and its incredible richness is a reflection of the character of God himself, as he provides each of us as individuals the wisdom we need for our own personal journey. It is important, though, that we're fully aware of the overarching story of the Bible and the balance between the key themes that the Bible presents. We're all on a quest to discover the authentic message of the Bible. I, for one, am passionate about this. I want to be immersed in the world Jesus was immersed in, breathe the air he breathed, learn as much about the context of the times in which he lived as I possibly can. The hopes and aspirations, virtues and failings of his people. The scriptural and historical legacy that exercised his mind and his ministry and inspired his vocation as the Son of God. I want to capture the mood and the flavour of the times. If we cut ourselves off too much from the context of the New Testament writings and their backstory, we may miss the radical story the Gospels are telling. This morning, I'm hoping to give you a biblically authentic picture of what the cross has accomplished and the good news the Gospels are proclaiming. So what story did the Gospels think they were telling and what was the good news? We need to start with Jesus' opening words at the beginning of his public career found in Mark and Matthew. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So the good news or gospel, according to Jesus' own words, is the nearness of the kingdom of God. Maybe we all at some time on our Christian journey, and this certainly goes for me, assumed that the good news is salvation through trusting in Jesus' death on a cross, who dies in place of the guilty. In Romans 3.25, for example, it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be, to be received by faith. Then a course remains at the heart of it, yet the Gospels have almost nothing to say about this. It's not their main theme. In the four Gospels, we find the great emphasis on the coming of God's kingdom through the actual events of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and ascension. The good news is the story of Israel's God becoming king of the whole world. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he says in Matthew 6, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
It was an ancient Jewish belief that the age to come would arrive one day to bring God's justice, peace and healing to the world. In Galatians 1, Paul says, Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. When Jesus was announcing the nearness of the kingdom of God, he was proclaiming that a new world was being born and he was teaching people how to live within that new world. It was a challenge and an invitation to a whole new way of being human, characterised by forgiveness and reconciliation. This new way of life was not only possible, it was mandatory for his followers. The time is fulfilled, says Jesus in Mark one fifteen. The bridegroom has at last arrived for the wedding party. Most of us will agree that a wedding is a very exciting celebration. But there is a lot of waiting around, isn't there? We wait for each other as we get ready to go to the wedding. We wait for the bride to arrive at the church. We wait as the photographer gets everyone lined up properly. We wait until all the photos are taken. We wait at the reception for the bride and groom to turn up. We wait in line to welcome them. We wait for the food to arrive. We wait through all the speeches, some longer and more boring than others. We wait until someone else goes home first and take our cue to leave. Weddings are great occasions, but there's a lot of waiting. The Israelites were patiently waiting for the return of their God, knowing that until he came back, Israel would not be free from foreign domination. In Malachi 3.1 it says, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. In Jesus, Israel's God has pitched his tent, which was his dwelling place in the wilderness, among his people. He has taken upon himself the full horror of their plight and brought about the long-awaited new world. It's the fulfilment of all Israel's hopes. It's the good news. Many of us read the Gospels as God's answer to the plight of the human race in general. Everyone sinning and dying and needing to be redeemed. And the history of Israel sneaks in alongside. But the creator of the world chose and called Israel to be the people through whom he will redeem the world. Israel's story is the beating heart of the world story and it's a story for this world and the end point our final destination is not heaven the name we give to the spiritual dimension of reality in john 18 to 19 which we heard read earlier the scene between jesus and pilate is all about the kingdom why does jesus say to pilate my kingdom is not of this world it is in fact a mistranslation The Greek word ex means, as you might imagine, out of, from. In other words, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not from this world. It is from above, but it is for this world. It is categorically for this world. God is rescuing his people from their sins through the work of the servant, precisely to establish his rule, his very different kind of power, in all the world. The power that's marked by non-violence rather than violence is to win the day. This is the truth that Jesus is bearing witness to in this passage.
The kingdom and the cross are part of one another. Once you lose the kingdom theme, which is central to the Gospels, the cross becomes reinterpreted in ways that subtly distort the message. The cross detached from the kingdom message is seductively simple. We could draw a straight line from our repentance, Jesus having paid the price for our sins on the cross, and a life of eternal bliss in an escapist heaven. Perhaps seeing the cross and the kingdom together is more difficult to get a handle on. We have to work harder to understand it. Think of the way our eyesight works. If our brains are taking in a blurry image from one eye and a cleary image from another, then the brain will give preference to the clear image and ignore information from the blurry one. Over time, suppressing information from the blurry eye leads to impaired vision. We need to correct our vision by fully grasping and understanding the part the kingdom plays in God's overarching plan of salvation so that we can see our Christian vocation clearly. So how do the cross and the kingdom of God sit side by side? In Isaiah 52, 7, the passage we heard read earlier, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. God is becoming king on earth as in heaven. The good news is through the cross God reigns. Israel's God in human form has overthrown the dark spiritual forces of this world. Power has been redefined in terms of sacrifice and servanthood. Power has been turned the right way up. In Mark 10.45 it says, The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The servant work of the Son of Man that Jesus is talking about is not a free-floating reference to atonement. It's the climax to the discussion Jesus was having with his disciples about who was greatest in the kingdom of God. The servant work of the Son of Man demonstrates the new kind of power that is to be unleashed in the world, confronting worldly oppression represented by Caesar with God's new way. God's kingdom has been established but it has been redefined in terms of sacrifice and servanthood. That was why Jesus washed his disciples' feet just before his crucifixion. He was doing the work of the lowliest of servants, anticipating his servant work on the cross. For the gospel writers themselves, there was never a kingdom without a cross, and Jesus' crucifixion was never separated from the launching of God's kingdom. In John's Gospel, Jesus, after his flogging, is dressed in a purple robe and a crown of thorns and pronounced King of the Jews on the cross. The suffering Messiah, wearing his royal robes, does for his people and the world what he had said all along he would do, lay down his life. In John twelve twenty four, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Only through his death on the cross could God's kingdom spread throughout the entire world. 
If we imagine the cross is just a mechanism for letting us off the hook, then we're sadly mistaken. It's much, much more. It's the moment when the story of Israel reaches its climax. The kingdom of God overcomes the kingdoms of the world. When the people of God are renewed and take over the world, not by the love of power, but by the power of love. The great old door locked and barred since our first disobedience has sprung open. The dark power that stood in the way has been defeated. We can pass through the door and build with God that city at New Jerusalem that God had always planned for us. The overarching story of the Bible is a love story, God's love story. The embodied God of Israel and the world died on the cross in place of the guilty to bring the great redemption, the great jubilee event, the remission of all debts, good news for the poor, release for prisoners, sight for the blind and freedom for the oppressed that Jesus announced in his sermon at Nazareth in Luke 4.16. This is what the kingdom looks like in practice. Maybe we would like a cross that takes us away safely to another sphere, but that's not being faithful to the biblical story. There are obviously times in our lives when we're vulnerable and we need to withdraw to gain new strength and vitality from God's healing and restorative presence. Not only that, there are times when we're facing our own inner battles against low self-esteem, anxiety, obsessional thinking and other kinds of trauma like loss and uncertainty. I can think of times, years in fact, in my life when I've had to substantially retreat into my own private world to allow God to build up my spiritual armour. But that's not the whole picture. The cross announces an agenda in which forgiven people are put to work to address the evils of this world. We are put right through the cross so that we can put the world to rights, working towards the day when God will put all things right. If we hold the cross and kingdom together, then that gives us a new energy and vigour to help achieve God's vision for the whole world that he intended all along through the power of love, not through the love of power. <laughs>